Hi, I'm Pastor Stefan Margeson. This is the sermon podcast for Aldersgate Worship Service of Front Street United Methodist Church in Burlington, North Carolina. Come and join us each Sunday morning in person at 8.45 a.m. in the Aldersgate Gym. God be with you. You know, I, I think if the people that were gathered around Jesus in the story that we're about to hear, I think if they were to sing this song, it would sound a lot like what you just heard, those grand lyrics of how great God is, and yet still somewhat of a somber tone to it. There's praise and there's adoration, and yet there's a little bit of longing in it as well. And I say that particularly for this scripture you're about to hear, because preceding this, just before this, there's a story about John the Baptist, who you have heard of, probably, and who the people that gather around Jesus in this next story have heard of well, but in this story, John the Baptist is killed. He's murdered, his head on a platter, literally. And so that is the backdrop, that's the backstory to what then follows in the story that we share this morning. Good morning. Um, The scripture today is Matthew 14, 13 through 21, and I am reading from the message. When Jesus got the news, he slipped away by boat to an out-of-the-way place by himself, but unsuccessfully. Someone saw him, and the word got around. Soon a lot of people from nearby villages walked around the lake to where he was, When he saw them coming, he was overcome with pity and healed their sick. Toward evening, the disciples approached him. We're out in the country, and it's getting late. Dismiss the people so they can go to the villages and get some supper. But Jesus said, there is no need to dismiss them. You give them supper. But all we have are five loaves of bread and two fish, they said. Jesus said, Bring them here. Then he had the people sit on the grass. He took the five loaves and two fish, lifted his face to heaven in prayer, blessed, broke, and gave the bread to the disciples. The disciples then gave the food to the congregation. They all ate their fill. They gathered 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 were fed. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, welcome back to coming to the end of our At the Table series. I'm I'm excited to be with you and today that we we share in this story. Gosh, what a story and how much it holds in it. So we're going to venture into it, but uh, first, let's begin with a word of prayer. Holy and gracious God, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you. And God, let us go from this space knowing the abundance that you share amongst us all, that we might all partake in this great feast. In your holy name we pray. Amen. You know, I give that backdrop of John the Baptist because it's a pretty important story in context to uh, what is happening here with the feeding of the 5,000. Because if we can understand and and kind of put ourselves in that place, this is Jesus who was baptized by John the Baptist, who was friends with John the Baptist, who uh, followed, had many of the same followers that John the Baptist did. They crossed paths more often than the scriptures really hold for us. We're sure of it. 
And so they knew each other well. They traveled together, they taught together, they probably ate together many meals. And so in this moment, with John the Baptist, who has just been killed, you have to imagine that Jesus is stricken, heartbroken. He is incredibly sad in this moment of the loss that he is experiencing. I mean, the beginning of this text tells us that he retreats to a place where no one is, goes off to find a place of solitude. And it seems like everyone else had the same idea, and so they followed, and so poor Jesus is not left alone there. But Matthew, who has collected this story and written it, putting those two together, it's not an accident. Matthew is is not a fool when it comes to putting these two stories back to back. There's a purpose behind it. And there's probably many reasons, but one that I know probably stands out if we can pay attention to it is how Jesus is juxtaposing something of the world. Now, Jesus does this in many other places. When Jesus walks into Jerusalem on the donkey, on the other side of town would have been a grand chariot uh, of parade of kings and royalty on the other side. And so for Jesus to walk in on a donkey, that was saying something against the political order of the time. And here again, Jesus is still making a statement But not only is John the Baptist killed in the preceding text, but there's an understanding that there's a party that's going on. The the, uh, gathered kings and royalty and the wealthy, they are having a party in celebration of John being killed. For them, it was an understanding that John was an opposition for them. John led a group of people, led a way of life that was against the ruling order of the time, the Roman officials. And so for them to take John out of the picture, well, that was a grand thing for them. And so they celebrated. But they celebrated in this idea of scarcity. For them, there wasn't enough room, and there never would be enough room for their few select wealthy to do people. So they made a little extra room by moving John out of the way. And in this moment, maybe it doesn't look like a party. Maybe it doesn't feel like that. Maybe it has the notions more of a wake, rather. But Jesus, with his gathered people, 5,000, probably just counting the men, maybe 7, 8, 10, 12,000, including women and children too. This is a gathering. This is a party in some sense, a celebration that Jesus turns it into. In juxtaposing what they were celebrating, the royals of the time of a world of scarcity where they had more and more power, Jesus broke that paradigm down and had a party where there was only a few little things to eat, and yet from that, glorious abundance was given so that all the people were fed and there were baskets left over for them. So you see, this work that we're doing right now at the table, part of that, I hope you can see not only the commonality of what Jesus is gathering, the the common space of a table, the simple little image that most of us have in our houses, but is accessible to us. And yet, let us not miss the grand picture of all the great things that Jesus is doing with this table. And one of those is to, to oppose the ruling order of today, where still we have people and groups and 
countries even that live in an understanding of scarcity where there is not enough for all and so the few must have. But at the table, we've learned, it gets bigger and bigger. There is abundance. There is more and more enough for all people. We journeyed this morning, you saw a little snippet of it right here at the beginning, uh, of to, to a farm. So this is Dinnerbell Farms, and we visited with uh, our, farmer, our farmer friend, John, and his wife, Stephanie. Well, what lovely people they were. And they showed us a picture of abundance. There's one of my favorite clips from that that I want to show you and let you see a little bit. Sugar week. baby melon, and they're supposed to be nearly black. They're not quite ready. Um, the way you tell if a melon is ready, has three things. It has the bottom of the melon needs to be yellow. Oh, that's good. Has to be yellow, okay? Then there's a little tendril that's supposed to dry up. And that there it is right there. See this little guy? That little thing is dry. So that means it's the melon's ready. This little guy right there. So you found one ready. And then finally, you do the plunk test. And you put your finger on it. And if it goes plunk, it's ready. If it goes plink, not ready. Got plink, plink, not ready. Plunk, ready. <laughs> I love all of those connections. Cause oh, look at that. Look mm -hmm. at that. Mm -hmm. That looks yummy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We got to share in this abundance uh, as we sat with John and Stephanie, uh, not around the traditional table, mind you. It was in their field, in their farms, and it felt very much so like the 5,000. There wasn't a table big enough to hold all of those people, and yet the meal was abundant. It was a joy to share life with them. I love that image, and, and I love the way that Jesus uses the table to show us, expound upon our life, and change it for the better. And, and it's in those ways where Jesus is working against the ruling order of the day, to be sure, working against uh, a government that doesn't understand the people or doesn't work for the people, doesn't feed the people as Jesus and Jesus' rule is trying to do. But there's maybe a little bit more closer to home something for us. Because not only is Jesus at the table turning upside down the ways the world works, but Jesus at the table is also turning upside down our own understandings of the God culture that we live in. Now for the people at this time, it made sense for, for those Jews that were gathered around listening to this story, there was an understanding for them in Jesus, in that presence, and in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, that Jesus was turning what they used to call the altar, where they would make sacrifices to God. That was a part of their old way of life. But as Jesus moves forward, Jesus turns that upside down, turns that table, that altar rather, into a table where they come and partake rather than to give. That's a beautiful way in which Jesus turns that culture for them, their own understanding of how God works upside down to be closer and closer to their Jesus. A beautiful way. But I wonder if there's ways in which it's, it's even more personal than that, even more intimate, even more relational as Jesus is wont to be. You see, as Jesus meets all of these people at the table, he, he comes to them offering some beautiful things. But before he can offer beautiful things, there's something that we need to understand. 
And there's a strange line in this scripture, I don't know if you caught it, but before Jesus feeds the 5,000, gives them something to eat, even before Jesus performs any miracles of healing, comfort for them, it says that Jesus had pity on them. Did you hear that? Jesus had pity for these people. What an odd line. It strikes me as odd that the motivation for Jesus in this moment needed to be pity. Why not love? Why not care, grace, mercy, but pity? Now, as we use the word pity nowadays, it's an understanding, a a sympathetic notion to another person. Maybe you don't fully understand what they're going through, but you have pity on them, sympathy for them, where what they are suffering, you can sort of get. I can imagine how you might be upset about this loss or that, we say. I don't quite understand, but... Yeah, you can be upset. But but the pity that Jesus is working with, I I think it's a little bit more than that. I I don't think it's a pity of of Jesus standing off to the side at a distance to our pain and suffering. I don't think it's a a pity of Jesus only kind of knowing what we're going through. I I think it's more than that. I, I think it's a pity that Jesus truly understands. Jesus has actually walked through And you know, as we go back and think about the places we met Jesus at the table over these last five weeks, gosh, it's all there. Because as Jesus, in the first place that we went to, Jesus met his disciples on the beach side. This is after Jesus has died and was resurrected. They don't know this. They don't understand it. And so the disciples are out on a boat, back to being fishermen, what they had understood before And so the disciples are lost, confused. They're a little bit unsure of what they are supposed to do going forward. Jesus understood this. Jesus understood what they were going through. We see it even in Scripture. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying to God the Father, saying, if it be thy will, take this cup from me. We see a Jesus who is unsure of the path forward. Willingly following, yes, but still unsure. Jesus knew what the disciples felt in that moment, their pain, their confusion, their frustration. As we move along, we see Jesus who meets the the couple walking along the road to Emmaus. They have also lost their Jesus, their Messiah, and as they conversate together, they try and understand what should we do. Uh, We're angry about this. We're confused. We're bewildered. How, How are we supposed to act? How are we supposed to be? What are we supposed to do? And Jesus, who walks alongside them, quoting scripture to try and help them understand, he's not going at it from a pity that we understand. He understands fully what they are feeling. This is the same Jesus who, a while ago, had journeyed into the temple and seen God's own people selling, making a profit off of the less fortunate in God's own house. Jesus, who is confused and angry, flips tables over, not knowing really what to do, but just acts out of that anger. Jesus understands what that couple is, under, is feeling as they walk along that road. Jesus, as he meets Martha and Mary in their home, where Martha is busy going to this and that in her house, preparing meals, setting the table, she is feeling captivated by the expectations, the understandings, the temptations that she has all around her in her life. And the Jesus that's sitting in her living room is the same Jesus that walked through the wilderness, was tempted, 
over and over again of worldly things. This Jesus that sits with Martha and asks her to come out understands the temptations that she is going through. This Jesus who goes up to the tree where Zacchaeus is. Zacchaeus who is up in the tree because he is misunderstood. He is outcast from his own people. He is up above everyone else's head because he knew they wouldn't let him to the front of the line to see Jesus. Jesus understands what it means to be an outcast. And even though they don't see it yet, in a few short weeks, he'll walk that path where his own people sentence him as an outcast to be crucified. Jesus right here understands what all of these people are going through. This work at the table, it's so much more personal. It's so much more intimate. It's so much more powerful than anything we could even really fathom. We talk about this as the table is the place where we can come and meet Jesus, but it's not quite that. It's more than that. It's not Jesus who sets up a table at the corner street and waits for us to come to it. No, this is a Jesus who takes that table and sets it in front of us in each and every place in our life, asking us to sit down and to have a meal. This is Jesus that takes the table and walks it around every Everywhere that we go, hoping, begging, asking for us to partake in the meal that is there. This is the Jesus who, in the cross, the cross in the table, they are synonymous in the work that Jesus is doing and wanting to get closer and closer to every single one of us. To know us as intimately as Farmer John knows that watermelon. How beautiful is that? That image, that understanding that Jesus would know us inside and out and ask us in every moment to just sit down and to have a meal, to be at the table, to find healing, to find food. And the only question left is, what is Jesus serving? It's a funny thing. What is Jesus serving? Because more often than not, and actually all the stories that we've gone to, Jesus doesn't bring anything to the table. Jesus doesn't bring anything to serve. Jesus uses what other people have. Just outside the Sea of Galilee in the Holy Lands, there is a temple, a tabernacle. It's called the Church of Multiplication. And on the front entrance, there is a mosaic tile on the floor as you walk in, and it has a depiction of this, the story of the feeding of the 5,000 with a basket of bread and two fish on either side. But you know, the strange thing is, as you walk in and you notice it, and you, you think about this story, there's two fish on either side, but there's four loaves of bread in the basket. And you think, well, of all things, if, if they were to depict this story, wouldn't they get the numbers right? Because it was two fish and five loaves of bread that the story tells us. Well, why did they miss one? Well, the story goes, the people that created this, that put this image down, the understanding is that that basket is yet incomplete because there is still room for you to bring something to the table. There is still room for you to bring something of yourself, something that you have made, something that wells up inside you, a part of your story, a part of your life to the table to offer it, to be a part of that multiplication that Jesus is creating in this moment and in all of our lives. That is what Jesus is serving at this table. That is the blessing that is poured out. That is the beautiful offering that all of us are called to come and partake in. 
what a beautiful thing. What an awesome thing. I do, as Pastor Ray said this morning, I hope that you view the table in a slightly different manner, your own tables even, in a slightly different way than you might have understood before. And this way, this morning, what a beautiful thing it is to offer. Some of you may have already seen, some of you may haven't. We haven't done this in a while, but we get to taste a little bit more closely what it looks like, this meal that is offered. So as you come to the table, I hope that you offer some of yourself as well to be multiplied for the kingdom, for all people, the kingdom of abundance. Bread, it's here. Juice, it's here. What a blessing. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.